Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John in chapter 13, a part of a familiar passage that we often read together on Monday, Thursday, when Jesus is sharing a meal with his friends, the Passover. Listen now for the word of God. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I have said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Silence in us any voice but yours, gracious God, that in hearing these words we may be inspired to do your will in our daily lives. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. You never had a chance to meet my mother. She would have celebrated her 92nd birthday today, and I continue to celebrate her memory as a feisty and faithful Christian woman. I've thought a lot about her and the love she had for me and the things she taught me as I've prepared for today's service. I'm certain that she would have had a comment or two about what I have to say and would have had no qualms in sharing her opinions with me especially when I was deciding whether or not to mention Mother's Day. Today is Mother's Day, 2013, and it's also the seventh Sunday of Eastertide. Part of this declaration may be a surprise to you, but since I don't want to embarrass anyone, I won't ask which part. Some of you are here especially because it is Mother's Day while others may resent the intrusion of a secular hallmark holiday into the church's celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. While Mother's Day doesn't appear anywhere on the church's liturgical calendar, it's arguably one of the most significant Sundays of the calendar year when folks are here with their mothers because they are mothers or because they're thinking about their mothers. Theology professor Sally McFaig has written, No human love can be perfect, but parental love is the best metaphor we have. Parent, mother, all of us, female and male, have the womb as our first home. All of us are born from the bodies of our mother. All of us are fed by our mothers. What better imagery could there be for expressing the most basic reality of existence, that we live and move and have our being in the life and love of God? But we all know that metaphors are limited. 
Not all women are mothers. Not all mothers are loving and life-giving. Some mothers are stepmothers or adoptive mothers or mothers who have worked long and hard to become mothers. Not all men are fathers. Not all fathers are strong and faithful. Some mothers abandon their babies. Some fathers abuse their children. Even though our language is limited and our lives are limited by our sinfulness, God's love for us in Jesus Christ is neither one of these. In the pain of death and in the suffering of the cross, Jesus exhibits a love that knows no bounds and teaches us a new way of living as God's children. This morning's gospel text continues a significant statement of Jesus' teachings about love. It's part of John's telling of the events of of the Thursday of Holy Week. The setting is the upper room where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples before sharing his last meal with them. The Passover meal is a family meal, so small groups who banded together to share the Paschal meal often pattered themselves on family life. One person in the group acted as a father, explaining to those present why this night was different, offering prayers and leading the liturgy around the meal. John implies that Jesus had taken this role and that he continues his instruction as the evening progresses when he gives farewell commandment and teachings to his disciples. Judas has been present at the meal, and when he departs, Jesus knows that his final hours on earth have begun. He wants his friends to be prepared for his departure and his return and to know what he expects of them. Ironically, his first concern is not doctrine or theological truth, but relationships. The tone of Jesus' words is tender, and he addresses his friends reassuringly as little children, perhaps as many of you have spoken to your children in the same way while putting on your coats to leave for an evening out. Can you hear their questions? Where are you going? Can we go too? Who's going to stay with us? When will you be back? Reassurances follow, but the impact of Jesus' answers must have been profoundly troubling to the disciples, not unlike explaining the reality of separation and death to young ones. At this point, Jesus offers the disciples a new commandment and reminds them that he loves them and will continue to love them even when they are apart. The love that Jesus has for his followers brings about their salvation when he lays down his life for them and for us, an act of love that gives life to all. The reality of God's love and the self-giving action of Christ transcends differences of gender and everything else that divides us and brings us into conflict. Knowing that we are loved by God 
can free us from the anxieties and the pressures of life in our hectic existence, if we will let it. But how does that love, which is surely greater than we have known from any mother or father, truly free us to love as Jesus commands? We live in a world and in a community that so easily makes us feel inadequate and incomplete. Despite our continuing fascination with self-fulfillment and personal success, we're often left with a feeling of dissatisfaction and failure simply because we can never live up to the ideal of of perfection projected through our culture. Despite our frantic efforts, we will never be thin enough or rich enough or young enough or smart enough or loving enough. While we pay tribute to the gospel of self-esteem, we continue to experience a lack of esteem, a feeling of inadequacy. God in Christ offers us the one thing that can break this statement of the Spirit, the promise that we are loved. We are loved not in spite of our shortcomings or because of our achievements, but simply because we are of immeasurable value to God. This affirmation undermines the chief enemy of faith and confidence, the assumption that our value as, of, as persons is to be measured by social norms and established by the judgments of others. Perhaps there's nothing more radical for Jesus to remind his disciples and to remind each of us that we are loved unconditionally by God. But Jesus' instruction to his followers doesn't end with this reminder of God's unqualified love. His new commandment to his disciples was precisely this. Show your love. Love one another. By your love, people will know more about you and about God than anything else you could do. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus didn't love us by simply feeling loving toward us. Jesus lived a life that embodied love. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He comforted the confused, taught the ignorant, and hugged little children. He spoke the truth in love who were convinced that they alone knew God's law and God's will. Jesus' love was so great that he went to the cross, suffering torture and death as his greatest demonstration of an action-based love. The love Jesus wants his disciples to enter into, not just to feel, is modeled on the love spoken of in the Torah, but it goes further. Jesus' concern in the text is that their relationship to him should inform and determine their relationship to each other, those of the inner circle who would become the church. Their love is to show the same self-giving quality as Jesus has shown 
in going to the cross for them. Such love, he says, will be the distinguishing badge of his followers. And in this way, God's witness of a different life, a transformed life, will continue to be made to the world. Because Jesus understood our human nature, he probably knew that one day there would be family arguments about doctrinal issues. He knew that people would twist his teachings to conform to their own selfish perspectives or that personality conflicts would threaten the peace, unity, and purity of the community of faith. When that day came, however, rather than fighting and arguing among themselves, he wants us as his disciples to be known by our love for one another, not by our zeal or our self-proclaimed ardor self-imposed order or affirmation of the latest organizational structure. He wants us to love as he himself loved us, being willing to suffer for the sake of others. To be genuine disciples, we too should expect to face suffering, misunderstanding, and even persecution at the hands of the world and perhaps from other passionate Christians. However, by living lives reflecting this kind of radical love in spite of it all, Jesus affirms all will know that we are truly his disciples. Throughout its history, the Church of Jesus Christ has found it relatively easy to affirm love and commitment to Jesus Christ. But our difficulty has been to display that love within the community of faith, especially when we see God's truth in different ways. Author Sheldon Van Auken, a friend and contemporary of C.S. Lewis, wrote in his book, A Severe Mercy, The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness, But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug in complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. I confess that I sometimes find it difficult to love or even like certain people or groups whose theological perspective and practices are different from my own. But if I were to wonder about the impact of our disagreements, I need only to read the research done by author Dan Kimball to be brought up short. He filmed interviews on the University of California Santa Ana campus at a worship gathering and asked each person two questions. What comes to mind when you hear the name Jesus? And what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? The answers to these questions brought both joy and extreme sadness. At the first question, students' faces lighted up with smiles. Jesus is beautiful. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus was a liberator of women. I'm all about Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. 
Jesus was enlightened and had higher truth. What encouraging answers. Here we were with post-Christian students eager to talk about Jesus. They probably weren't familiar with the whole of Jesus' teachings, but they held a higher opinion of Jesus than an extremely, as an extremely positive figure in history. But at the second question, their expressions changed dramatically. Eyes looked downward and smiles turned to frowns and even pained expressions. Christians have taken the teachings of Jesus and really messed them up. I would want to be a Christian, but I've never met one. Christians are dogmatic and closed-minded. Christians should be taken out and shot. Most discouraging of all was that only one person out of 16 actually claimed to even know a Christian personally. Their conclusions were claimed to be based on general observations and hearsay. What they knew of Jesus they liked, but what they knew of Christians they definitely didn't. Obviously, loving our Christian brothers and sisters is sometimes more challenging than loving our enemies. How easy it is to get consumed with the work of ushering in the kingdom that we forget to share a greeting or a meal, to listen to a good story or a painful one, to sit on the porch with those with whom we share the work of ministry. How challenging it is in times of change and transition to seek together to find the will of Christ and to continue to celebrate the bond we have in Christ that brings us here. Genuine love demonstrates itself in many ways. In concern for others' feelings, in patience with others' weaknesses, in thoughtfulness and empathy, in response to duty, and in courage and steadfastness. Love looks beyond rough exteriors and critical behavior to latent goodness and compels it to come out. Love makes us work hard to understand another person's viewpoint and to encourage dialogue when the lines of communication have seemingly fallen apart. Love calls forth the best in us when we debate and decide together. And when we remain committed to one another during times of unsettling change and uncertain outcome. True love, as God showed it through Christ, is a supportive love. By re-examining our ways of loving and the demands we make on others, we can rediscover and live the joy we share when we truly become the family of God. I want all of the children we baptize and all of the young people we confirm in this congregation to grow up knowing that they are children of God and a valuable part of the family of faith. I want them to thrive in a church that is transformed by the power of God's love, where those around them love each other as Christ loves each of them unconditionally. I want them to be inspired by the power of our witness 
not put off by the hypocrisy of our disagreements. Ironically, these days, over the definition of love and how love is expressed in Christian marriage. And I want them to learn to share the love that they experience here with other people, with the bully in their school, with the homeless youth of the District of Columbia, with the orphans of Chicago, so that they will know that they too are loved, no matter what their circumstance, and they will be irresistibly drawn into Christ's church. So it is, is it appropriate to celebrate Mother's Day in the Church of God? I think yes. When we touch on some of the deepest truths of our religious tradition, and when we are reminded of the most powerful gift that any mother can give, the knowledge that we are loved unconditionally. This is what each of us needs, yet it's what only a few of us have experienced fully, even though the most even through the most loving mothers. What we have seen in part in our mother's love, we see fully in the love of God. It is that love which supports and inspires us as we struggle to make God's love and God's justice real, not only for ourselves and for our families, but for all the people of the world, and more particularly for all the members of the Christian community. May God's grace abound as we live the challenge of Christ's words and love one another as God continues to love us. Amen.